So the thing we say at the Covenant Group is saying no defines who you are. Right. So you can either define who you are or you can let the environment or somebody else define you. And I much prefer to define who I am. Hi, and welcome to Helping People Perform, the podcast that gives you fascinating insights into those people whose chosen vocation is to help others perform at their best. From consultants to teachers, sports coaches to financial advisors, all of my guests share a passion for getting the most out of individuals, teams, and organizations. Enjoy the episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Helping People Perform, where I bring stories and insights from some amazing people whose chosen vocation is to help others perform at their best. And today I'm joined all the way from Toronto in Canada. We have author, advisor, coach, and thought partner. We have Director of Development and Innovation at the Covenant Group, and I'm sure we're going to get to hear a lot about that as we have this conversation. Welcome to the show today, Keita Deming. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be in this conversation with you. I'm sure it's going to be a great one, and uh, I think we've got some amazing stories to tell and uh, and value for the audience as well. So um, maybe we could start off with that story side and, and tell, me, tell me your story. How did you get to where you are today? A little bit long and boring, but in general, I, I have followed a non-linear path from high school dropout to somebody eventually went into do high school, do finish high school, do a, an undergrad, do a master's, do a PhD. Um, along the way, I did things like teach salsa, which always surprises people. Or right. Lived in Cuba and lived in Puerto Rico for some time. But um, all in all, I think I've had a life where I've followed my passions around how do we help people perform at their peak. Yep. And that really started when I worked as a camp counselor in the YMCA in Trinidad when I was a swimming instructor and all of that and realized how much I loved learning performance and development and coaching. And right. if you look at the trajectory of my life, the common theme has been learning and coaching. Right. And one of the things that I think really solidified that was I was lucky enough to work on a project at the University of British Columbia where we did a peer-to-peer coaching program that really helped me understand the value of coaching from peers and then coaching from people who have a little bit more experience and understanding how coaching skills are kind of leadership skills as well. Okay, and yeah. That's informed a lot of my practice for sure. Yeah. So that's a little bit of me. Oh, fantastic. I mean, a couple of wonderful little snippets in there. Maybe I'll delve into one or two of them uh, just to just to probe somewhat. Um, always interested in this view. You say high school dropout all the way through to going back to high school and eventually going all the way to a PhD. What was it that motivated you to go back? You know, what was the um, the thing that drove you in that side? I think one of the things I've come to realize is that, unfortunately, our educational system across the world is designed for this kind of person. Mm -hmm. And if you don't fit into that, you fall through the cracks, or, and I fell through the cracks. Um, once I was in a supportive environment where there were things that I was interested in, things that caught my imagination, et cetera, and set my brain on fire, learning mm -hmm. was easy. It's right. easy now. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't help that I had struggles like dyslexia and that kind of thing that, helped, that happened, mm -hmm. but I think we really need to rethink 
our educational system. And to me, it is absolutely insane mm. that we have AI as an upcoming technology and we still are doing tech, still doing schooling yeah. <laughs> like from a hundred years ago. And my son is in that system and I'm like, the system will not serve him for the future he's about to walk into. Mm. But I can't transform the educational system. Mm. But I can only do my part at home and teaching him how to ask questions and listen and manage complexity and uncertainty and stuff like that. And what upsets me about that is that for kids who don't have resources, who don't have parents who have PhDs and uh, into learning, what's their fate? Um, mm. So I... I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I think um, I put a lot more stake in the environment than you're in. Right. I think the like if if you put a seed in a pot with poor soil, you don't blame the seed. Right. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. If you um, don't water it and you don't nurture it, yeah, if you don't yeah. nurture it and work it out, it's not the seed's fault. And I think too often that happens with particularly folks who look like me who are marginalized black mm. all of that stuff so I, I was fortunate to have privilege and support systems etc and landed in a school that was super supportive and all of that so i think mm. the fact that i went to um got all the way to my phd is a combination of my own desires with a very good supportive environment and i think businesses are similar you get the most out of people when you hire very very strong people and you create a very supportive yes. environment you get people who you would have fired one day yeah. and the next day they're rock stars mm -hmm. because you found that sweet spot between the individual and the environment yeah. so oh wise words indeed and i think that's a you know that's always critical i've i've got a, a young son as well and going through that similar process and finding yeah there is a there's a system that you have to work within um but at some point they will there will be a break in that system either individually or, or collectively and something will change um even if that's the individual working and learning in a different way and i think all we can do is support people around us to be at their best and i think the the great thing you said there you know once you found learning to be fun and connected with you it was easy i yeah, think that's that's something that we can all take both in for, for ourselves, uh, maybe our, our children, may maybe in our organiz organizations as well. You know, it's like, how do we create learning that is fun for people and easy for them because it's connected to what motivates them? So that's a yeah. wonderful piece there. Um, and um, you mentioned about coaching being a, a common theme throughout and maybe that te uh, takes us into what you're doing today so maybe you could tell us a little bit more about um, the Covenant Group in terms of who you help and how you help them. So at the Covenant Group we help you build a business that's right for you so that you can you can implement systems and processes that drive revenue and measurable results. The way we do that is we use a coaching model that embodies four kinds of pillars or steps and it goes mindset training coaching and action so most things start with mindset what's the mindset that you're bringing into this mm. what's your training we now need to give you and i'm not a big fan of one-off coaching kind of programs because i find them largely ineffective right um and i've written about that in my book actually <laughs> tell a story one of my many stories about how I often turn away clients because they want 
a, a checkbox item thing. Hey, Keita, can you do like, it's always team building. Right. Can you do a one day team building thing first? I'm like, no, that's not how team building works. Right. And you can pay somebody else to do it who will do it and they're a hired gun and they'll pay, but I'm not doing that work. I, The coaching component of the work we do is absolutely central to A, us getting results and B, the client getting results. And I refuse to do work where, okay, I could get paid on it, but it's not a good thing for in the best interest of the client. Mm. So the coaching piece is absolutely critical. And then the action, what action or what are you doing differently as a result of this coaching is absolutely crucial. So yeah, Yeah, that's uh, what we do at the Covenant Group. Oh, fantastic. And, and, you know, there's a couple of bits in there. I mean, saying no to business, I think for anybody in any organization, even if they're a solopreneur going out by themselves, particularly in the early stages, or if they're a business that's looking to scale up, or if they're at that maturity level, it's the ability to say no and know why you're saying no to that business, I think is a critical element to the longevity and the real um, sort of crucial, you know, the crucial element of what that what that business is and who those people are in that organization. You see, I think people struggle with saying no when they don't know their purpose. Right. They don't know why they exist. Mm. If I know who I exist and who I set out to help, if you don't fit that bucket, I'm going to say no to you. Right. But if I'm going out there, hey, I need to make like $40,000 a month and that's my objective, I'll say yes to everything. Yeah. But if I set out to be like, I'm going to help this specific group in this specific way so that they get this specific value, it's very easy to say no because you know exactly who you're helping. A dentist doesn't help somebody who needs brain surgery. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Right? So I think I think what, what people have to get clear on is who have you set out to serve. Right. And most people are not clear on that. And as a result of that, they take on clients who cause mission drift, who take them in a path that like five years later, they're like, this is not the work I set out to do. Mm. How did I get here? You said yes all the way along rather than saying no, which is a tough path, no joke. Yep. But the, the more you say no. So the thing we say at the Covenant Group is saying no defines who you are. Right. So you can either define who you are or you can let the environment or somebody else define you. And I much prefer to define who I am. Yeah. Oh, that's, that, those are wonderful words there. And <laughs> um, yeah. so tell me more about the Covenant Group in terms of, you know, it, it, is it a, a large organization? Who have you got working with you? Um, and who, who who are your clients at? You know, who do you target? Yeah, we, we are small but mighty. So we have a wide reach across North America, in fact, across across the world. We're currently working with folks in South Africa. We've worked in the Caribbean. We've worked in India. We've worked all around the world. Hmm. Um, Covenant Group precedes me. So the founder is somebody by the name of Norm Trainer, who wrote a book called Eight Best Practices in the 90, which is a, a best-selling book. And the two things that we focus on, and we, I think we do better than most people, is help people with strategy. And we help people, we help people strategically build a business that's right for them. And we help people understand how to have sales in an effective and efficient manner. How do you have sales conversations in a way that's ethical, that doesn't feel like the car salesman kind of thing, mm. and delivers value to the people that you you seek to serve? So I would say everything we do comes down to how do we help you build a business model that's right for you? 
so that you can drive systems and processes that drive revenue and measurable results. That's what we're trying to do. And in order to do that, sometimes it's a culture project. Sometimes it's like a systems, and most times it's a systems and processes project. Sometimes it's a vision issue. But we start all of our work with a baseline assessment where we ask 25 questions, and that 25 question gives us a good sense of where we're going to go next. And we do another baseline assessment that gives us a good sense of where we need to start. So and we work with at the institutional level and we work at the individual level and we work in the middle as well. So it's we work with lots of people who have challenges with either strategy or sales. Right. Oh, wonderful. And are there any um, sort of top tips, one or two things that you would uh, call out that you see as a sort of regular pattern no matter what the size of the organization, things that either people are doing wrong or, or things that you can help them do in the right way? Oh, there are lots, man. You, <laughs> one of my top ones that, so basically ones that annoy me the most is what you're saying, yeah. right? <laughs> um, let's, in the sales conversation, I think focus on the other person make them the center of the attention. It's not about you. Mm. And nobody cares about your product or what you have to bring to the world. (laughs) What people care about is how you're going to help them achieve what they want to achieve. And the more you focus on helping people achieve what you want, what they want to achieve, the more success you would, you get focus on other people. Don't focus on you. So I think that would be one thing that drives me crazy. The second thing that drives me absolutely bonkers is people not being willing to pay the price in the short term for what they want in the long term. Right. I'm in front of too many people who know exactly what they need to do to get to exactly where they want to go, but they're not prepared to pay the price today. And that makes no sense to me because I've had clients tell me, I know exactly what I need to do, but I'm not sure if I'm going to pay, if I'm willing to pay, pay the price for it. I'll give an example. Yeah. We did a whole strategy plan over this company they, they wanted to grow their business by 5x, did a whole strategy plan, et cetera. When it came to executing and how much money he needed to spend, and we were pretty confident with our strategy that we'd probably grow five to 10 times. His approach was like, you know what? I prefer to buy the second cottage this summer rather than spending money here because he was more interested in spending the summer at a cottage right. than growing the company. Mm. And I, I just found that frustrating, but... If that's what's important to you at the time, fine. Mm. But you're sitting here telling me that you want this company to do X in 10, 15 years, but yet you're buying the cottage instead of, you're taking money out of the company to buy the cottage rather than putting money into the company, which will give you three cottages (laughs) in six years. (laughs) Those kind of things make, is what, that that drives me bonkers. And when you say not willing to pay the price, do you purely mean the cash or no, 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 of course not. I mean, like time, energy, creativity, intelligence. They're not prepared to give up the things, simple things like most entrepreneurs have to take stuff off their plate. They have to go narrow right. with what they do. They're not prepared to give up filling the copy, copying machine because nobody does the copying machine better than they do. Right. That's an absolute waste of your time. Mm. <laughs> Right, so that's what I mean by paying the price in the short term in order to get where you want to get in the long term. Mm. And, so, some, yeah. and I know there's some sort of great 
services more and more these things are coming on board now aren't they in terms of you know virtual assistants and ways in which you can take off some of the work particularly for i'm speaking from an entrepreneurial side of it for myself you know as a, a solopreneur that element of i feel like i have to do everything but actually there are services and there are ways and processes and systems out there that can help you to focus on the value that you bring not the things that you feel like you need to do i think that's a, a yeah so i think i don't think you should ever do the things you feel like you should do hmm. I think you should do the thing that brings the most value to the organization. And that's whether you're an employee or whether you're an owner, hmm. you should always be working on the thing that you do best that brings the most value to the company. It, it, like whether you like it or not, is a different conversation. <laughs> yes. It's a whole different conversation. <laughs> I, I, I'm not a fan of like, I enjoy doing this. Like you enjoy ordering stationery. Yeah. But you're the best person to go build, to go sell do business development. You're doing business development. You're not doing stationary. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, you, yeah. you mentioned within that uh, context as well, uh, your book. Um, now, I know you've this recently come out, Strategy to Action. Is that, is that right? Strategy to Action, yeah. Yeah. So Strategy tell me about, about the book. So the book has come about because um, a number of years ago, Norm, who's the founder of Covenant Group and my business partner, he and I were trying to figure out a way to get our clients to think both strategically and tactically. Right. And I came up with this framework, which is what I basically lay out in a book um, about a framework of how you go from strategy to action. And our clients loved it. They're like, man, this framework is so helpful. It's a one page. It takes something that's complex, makes it simple without it without removing the complexity. We can share it with teams. We It gives us great guidelines. And they would often say, hey, where can we read more about this? We want to read more about this. And this is what our clients were saying. And then COVID hit. Right. And I decided, you know what? I got time. Let me write the book that my clients have been asking me to write. So I thought at the very least, my clients would get it. Yep. And they would enjoy the book, which is happening. And then hopefully other people who are in a similar situation would benefit from the book. Mm. I would be able to take the framework and apply it in both their life and their business. The examples in the book focus on entrepreneurs and business owners. Right. You can take that framework and apply it to your life in the same way. And it's a very powerful, useful framework that you take the simple guidelines it, it gives you. And all of a sudden, if you apply that in your life, you find it, it gives you quite a lot of leverage. Right. So. I'm a big fan. Uh, many of the listeners of this show will know that I'm a big fan of a framework because I think one, it gives you some stability, but it also gives you that view of actually there are some steps that if I follow this, I'm going to get to the end point as opposed to just seeing that huge chasm between you and where you want to be. It's actually, I can get there. It might be difficult and it might, might it's going to take me time and effort and, um, and resource. But actually, if I follow these steps, it's going to help me get from where I am today to where I want to be. Yeah, something interesting is I spent many years not liking frameworks. Right. <laughs> like I spent many years hating frameworks because I felt like frameworks oversimplify very complex issues. Right. And that um, is the bottom line. Every single framework, including mine, is imperfect, incomplete, and can be improved. Mm. And as somebody who, an, an overcoming perfectionist, a yeah. uh, 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 recovering perfectionist, <laughs> I never liked that. I never liked the framework. And then I've since come to realize that frameworks, as long as they're useful, it's a good thing. 
and the theoretical pieces around the qualitative things that you're missing and that you, you're you reducing the complexity and you're oversimplifying and that, it doesn't matter. It's useful. People are using it mm. and people can access this. Whereas um, I used to get into these really complex like um, thought patterns and, and now I, I'm over that. I think yeah. I as think long that- as it's useful for people, then let's make it happen. Yeah, and I think that goes back to your earlier point as well in that it's not about you. <laughs> Even if you think that you don't like your framework, if it adds value to people, then it's a good thing. Um, yeah. yeah. So I think that that's a, a, a good message because often people, particularly, and I've caught myself in this, I've developed a framework because I like it <laughs> or I've developed a framework because it's, it's what I found useful. But actually the, the acid test on all of this is does it add value to your audience? Because if yeah, it does... Exactly. If it does, it's a good thing. And that uh, that value will never be the perfect answer. It'll never be the silver bullet. But if it helps people along the way, then it can only be a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, in terms of your own performance then, you know, I often talk to um, my guests about, you know, how do you make sure that you are performing at your best? Because people who help others perform, they're giving so much. You've got to be in a good position in your own right to be able to, uh, to to be performing at your best in order to help others be at their best. So what are some of the practices, the things that you do to help yourself be at your sharpest? I think, I think there are lots of things that I do, but I would say the number one thing I would tell people is go to bed at a, at a same time every night, focus, get your sleep right. Right. Um, I just recently had an operation on my knee and my sleeping has been awful. And as a result of that, my thinking is awful. I'm, I, I, I'm exhausted. I need to, I'm now going to bed at nine and waking up at seven like that. I'm like a baby right. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, because I just need, that's how much sleep I need. So I think number one, most of us are in, uh, uh, um, what, do, what do you call it? Knowledge economy. In the right. knowledge economy, we're using our brains. And I've never, I've done a PhD. I've never done an all-nighter, not once in my life. I've always prioritized sleep because if you don't get a good night's sleep before I'm an athlete, before you play a game, yep. waste of time. You're not putting 100% on, on the field. Mm-hmm. You don't get a good night's sleep before an exam, you're not going to get the best grades you're going to get. Um, so I really prioritize sleep and that's number one for me. Mm-hmm. Number two, I try to exercise regularly. Um, recovering from this knee surgery is tough, but I'm still trying to exercise regularly. I'm biking pretty often, etc. Yeah, so much so I've just been told to stop biking less because I'm biking <laughs> too much right now. I'm putting too much pressure on my knee. Yeah, um, and then I think the third thing for me is I I'm a structure gives you freedom, and the more you lean into structure, the more I think you see performance. If you do a personality test on me, I have very high spontaneity. I'm a very spontaneous guy. Right. You talk to my wife, she'd be like, that guy is so rigid, so <laughs> structured. He wants, I have alarms on my phone for all kinds of things. Right. Um, like I have to take a pill every morning. I have an alarm that just like take a pill every day, right. you know, because I really believe in structure and systems. And if you do those three things, mm. you'd be shocked at how your performance would jump, jump. And they have nothing to do with your work. <laughs> nothing. It's like nothing to do with your work. Yeah. It's sleep on diet, of course, is one, but sleep exercise and being structure with systems and processes yeah you'd be amazed at how your performance improves yeah 
Oh, I, I couldn't agree more on some of those. I, I'm, uh, you know, the the sleep bit in particular. You know, I'm, uh, I've got my own challenges from a family perspective on some of those bits, and and I do notice just how much it affects you in your mood, but also in your decision making, your ability to perform at your best. And I think yeah. that's a that's a, such a critical piece. Uh, I'll t just tell you a little story about when I was working at McLaren. They actually looked at developing an app for their um, team, so the mechanic crew so that when they were traveling around the world, they could um, analyze their sleep patterns and then give them a program of sleep that get got them the best sleep, but also help them recover from the jet lag from all the travel that they were doing at the same time. Because if you think about, you know, you go into a race weekend, you're only going there on the sort of Wednesday, Thursday, and you've got immediate turnaround no matter where you're on in the world to be performing at your best. So that focus on sleep from a high performance area is, is such a critical piece. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. So get yourself some good sleep, exercise and diet, and then the structure. And I do like that element of, um, you know, the structure allows for the creativity. I think oh, yeah. you know, yeah, coming from a manufacturing background, I talk about standardization is the bedrock for improvement. So you, you, you've got to have that standard set so that you've got a standard way and that is your platform and your springboard for where you're going to go next and that's where your creativity comes is how do i get get better from where i am right now and if you don't know where you are right now it's a really tough one to know <laughs> if you're getting better just one quick comment on that i think like yeah. one of the things that i have learned is that um teresa mable is a harvard professor and she describes Creativity is novelty that works. So mm. if you're in a rest, if you're building a recipe and all of that, you, there's a lot of novelty that chefs come up with, and that's creativity. Yeah. Um innovation is the application of novelty that works. Right. So when you take something novel and you apply it, that's when you have innovation. And I think every company, no matter size, structure, whatever, mm. you can be creative and you can be innovative. And we like to think that only the, the apples of the world and the McLarens of the world can be innovative, but anybody can be innovative, especially when you think about it as innovation as being the application of novelty that works. Oh, I love that. I love it. I love a good definition. It really helps people to go, right, let's pick those bit, bits apart and say, right, what is the novelty? How does it work? And then how do I apply it? You know, yeah, the, so, prob the, problem, the problem with that definition is that novelty is, needs to be defined as well. Yeah. So <laughs> it's not... In my world, it'd be simpler, but I, I that's the one I use currently because I like it the best. But no, I've never yeah. heard that before. It's a great one. Yeah. Um, so let's ask you a couple of questions then. In terms of you've got this skill set, you've got this um, ability to um, to coach, you've got this experience and expertise. And um, oh. if you could work with any individual team or organization to help them perform better, who would you want that to be? That's a really good question. But here's here's what I would say. I, I am from Trinidad and Tobago originally, and which makes me a Caribbean diasporan person. I would love to take the work that I do and work with the Caribbean to help the world understand that the Caribbean is more than a tourist destination. Right. We have an immense, immense amount of talent. You go anywhere in the world and you see talented Jamaicans, talented Trinidadians, talented Barbadians, talented Caribbean folks accomplishing all kinds of things mm. but because of structures in the caribbean we don't necessarily harness that talent in the best way possible i would do anything in the world mm. 
to be able to work with the Caribbean nations to start to think about how do we apply the framework that I developed across the Caribbean? How do we take that and say, hey, let's start thinking on a longer timeline. Mm. Let's start thinking about root causes. Let's start thinking about systemic issues. Let's start thinking about how do we play both the short-term and the long-term? When a person is doing that right now is the Prime Minister of um, Barbados, Mia, Mia Motley. Right. She's probably one of the most amazing leaders we have in the world right now. Right. And I think the Caribbean could have 10 of those. Hmm. But there are structures and systems and stuff that prevent from that. So my answer would be to work with a region that I'm passionate about because I think we there's so much latent potential there that we have not even began to tap into so wonderful answer what a wonderful answer and, and let, let's flip the question on its head a little bit there and say if you could sit down and uh, have a drink have a coffee have a meal with any individual uh, or it could be a team or an organization as well so that you could help perform at your best some things that you could learn from and, and apply some of that novel thinking who would you want that to be there's a guy called robert smith who's a uh investor billionaire us in, in the us black guy um and he, he does software development and he invests in software buys software companies and builds them up and he's one of the few black billionaires in the united states hmm. there's a lot of things about his model that i wish i could have a very deep conversation with him around how to emulate replicate and apply in a similar way yeah. so i would say robert smith and his firm would be one of those people. I think his firm is called Vista Equity Partners. Um, but having said that, I have had, um, I've been in a room with him and I've been in a webinar with him, but I've never had a one-on-one conversation with him. And yeah. I think Robert Smith would be up there yeah. in my in my on my Mount Rushmore, I guess. <laughs> Fantastic, um, and. If people want to find out more, if they want to get hold of your book, or if they want to learn more about you and the uh, the Covenant Group, um, where do people go to find out more? The best place to go right now is keytodeming.com. There you find a lot about me. You find out about, about the book. Um, I really believe that this book, for people who have big dreams, big accomplishments, big ideas that they want to execute on, I think this is the book and the framework for you. Just pick it up see how you can apply it. One of the things I'm most excited about is always seeing how our clients take the framework and use it in new and novel ways. Yeah. And I just love to see that happen on a much larger scale now that the book is out. It's not been out for long. So yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing how that can happen. And anywhere you see on social media, you go K Deming. That's where you find Keith Deming. So I'm mostly on LinkedIn right. and Instagram. So Fantastic. We'll, we'll make sure we put some links in there. And for people who are listening on audio right now, so Keita Deming, that's K-E-I-T-A-D-E-M-M-I-N-G. So uh, make sure we go to KeitaDeming.com. All, as always, all of these links will be in the show notes so that we make sure that people can reach out. And I always encourage my audience uh, to reach out to my guests and uh, and get in touch, read their books, get uh, have a look at their website and uh, and you know let's start helping each other perform and sharing those lessons so that we can all be performing at our best so uh, some amazing stories and i love the work that you're doing keita and i can't wait to get my hands on a copy of the book myself and i'll be uh, providing you some feedback as well so thanks awesome. for being on on the show today keita deming
Thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me. And you have a wonderful rest of your day. And I definitely enjoy the work that you do. And thanks for sharing the work of so many other people. Appreciate it. <laughs> Cheers. All right. Cheers. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard, then please give the podcast a rate, review, and share. I'm Paul Teasdale, and from sausage making to banking, oil and gas to Formula One, I help people perform. If you'd like to find out more and have a conversation, contact me via helpingpeopleperform.com.